Welcome to Live in a Home That Pays You Back, the podcast for people who want to get the absolute most out of owning a home. Your host is Anna D. Simone, who explains how your home can be healthy, sustainable, and provide long-term security for you and your family. Anna's guests include technology leaders and innovators in the housing industry who share the kind of knowledge you need to meet the market with confidence. Make informed decisions about home construction, renovation, energy scores, water conservation, wind, solar, geothermal power, and lots more. It's time for you to live in a home that pays you back. Now here's your host, Anna DeSimone. Hello, this is Anna Simone, and welcome to Live in a Home That Pays You Back. As you know, everything we talk about on my podcast is about doing everything you can for your home so that it's healthy and energy efficient. But all of this costs money. And I'm so happy today that we have a nice person that's going to talk to you about mortgages. So we have Mike Lane, who is a loan officer with Northeast Financial. And he has a 28-year career where he has worked as a controller, director of finance, and a chief financial officer. And one of the reasons why I called Mike is because he thinks outside the box and he customizes the mortgage program that absolutely is the right fit for the consumer. And I know what you're thinking. Isn't everybody looking for the 30-year fixed rate? absolute lowest, lowest, lowest interest rate. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Now that people are working remotely and because of climate change around the country, you are going to see a lot more mobility, more mobility in people moving than you've seen in decades in the United States. So I only have one word of advice for people when they're looking for a mortgage, and that is to be flexible. You have to think about the stage you are in life, what the absolute potential, even if it's a small potential, that you might be moving. So whether you're renovating, buying a new home, I want you to hear what someone who I respect has to say about how to make sure you're getting the right mortgage that is the perfect fit for you and your family. So welcome, Mike Lane from Northeast Financial. Well, thank you, Anna. It's my pleasure, my honor to be here with you today. And I am here to, to speak about the, the industry and what, what I can do for, for borrowers, whether they are purchasing or refinancing, for that matter. Well, great. So, Mike, you know, I got to ask you this first right off the top. Interest rates have been like a yo-yo. So during this environment where interest rates are fluctuating, I want to hear from you because I don't know the answer to this question. What are people asking for either for their first home or refinances? It's the first question they ask you when they call you about a mortgage. Well, it's interesting. The first question they ask is, what's the interest rate? <laughs> and, <laughs> of course. And I kind of tell them it's a loaded question. Um, you know, you would think that you know, everybody wants just to know the rate and and they want the lowest rate. Well, that that could be that could mean a number of different things. Right. So that could mean anywhere from if you're the perfect buyer that has the perfect credit score, that has the perfect 20 percent down, you know, the interest rate is one rate. And then the other could be for a first time home buyer who 
has a lower level of income and not a, not a lot of money to put down, that could be a different rate. So really what I do is, is I then turn and I ask some questions to the borrower and I let them dictate to me what they're actually looking for based on my questions. And then from there we, we go. Well, can you give me like two or three questions that you might first ask in order to begin a quote for a mortgage? Sure. Sure. The first question I ask is what, what home are you buying for yourself? Are you buying the forever home? Are you buying? I like that question. You know, a home that, that you're looking to stay in for two or three years. Are you buying a condo where, you know, you want to stay here for two or three years and then move on to a bigger home where maybe you and your, your spouse are going to start a family, you know, et cetera. You know, where, where are you? Are you in a rural area? There are hundred percent mm. finance products out there. USDA is one of them. So it's true. Those are a couple starter questions that I, that I usually ask first. I like those questions a lot. Cause I want to tell you something, Mike, I would say that the vast majority of consumers in America are always asked right off the top, what do you think your credit score is? What is your income? And that's when people begin to shrink and they feel like, you know, you know, are you, you know, stereotyping me? And people start to get really, really nervous. But let's face it, the reason why I like your questions is because a mortgage is based is secured against a property. It is a property lien. And the kind of house you have really ultimately determines whether or not a mortgage lender can make the loan. So, Mike, what advice do you have for a customer that submits a mortgage application to you in an environment that the rates are going to fluctuate a little bit? What, do you, what are your suggestions for that? Sure. And, and, and we've actually, we're actually in that market today. We have been for a couple of years now. Yeah. And, you know, what, what we can offer, basically what I, what I tell them is, look, when we first submit your loan to, a, to your application to one of our 30 different lenders, yeah, we don't have to lock a rate right away. We can float the rate. Mm. Okay. Oh. So, for example, if you have a... Uh, a purchase agreement where you're going to close in 45 days, right? Okay. We get the purchase agreement. We submit the loan application to the lender. And depending on where the, the rates are and the market is that day, we have a discussion. Ultimately, it's their decision. I can't steer anybody in any direction. It's true. It's against my license, against the rules. So I provide them yeah. with, with, with market information factual information you know whether it's it's the 10-year treasury you know the the you know 30-year fixed average rate and we kind of go from there and I, I i just i basically discuss with them the process of what can we do to to lock this rate and when should we lock it and really it becomes their decision at the end of the yeah. day yeah yeah well, well that that's commendable but well what do you say to a customer when they say, well, all right, I'm going to lock in my rate today at 4%, but what happens if rates go down? Can you float me down in the opposite direction? Very good they question. They ask you that? 
Very good question. So the typical the typical way the rate lock works, first of all, is you're protecting yourself against upward exposure. Okay. Okay. So you lock a rate at four percent, and it goes to five percent while you're going through the loan process before you close. Well, guess what? You're locked in at four percent. We also have some lenders that have some some options where you can lock the rate but protect that rate against a certain amount of downward movement as well. Now that'll cost you something, but some of our lenders have the ability to do that. And so I I think lenders overall are starting to understand that the consumer, the buyer, the borrower really wants their cake and eat it too. So they're trying, especially in a market like today where you know, in, in the average interest rate today is almost back up to set is back. It's almost like around six point seven five. Yeah, so it's high. That's pretty pretty high. So if yeah. if they're like, well, I want to protect myself against upward exposure, I want to lock it today, but I also want maybe if it goes down to six point five, I want to be able to get that. Well, that'll come at a price, right? Everything costs something. But at least yeah. that option could be there. Not every lender does that, but some of our some of our lenders actually do that. You know, speaking of somebody paying for a change risk, let's just say you have someone who buys a home, and they sign a contract that they're going to close in sixty days. They have forty five days to get their mortgage approval. They lock their rate. The rate is going to expire, let's just say, 75 or even 90 days. Okay, so time goes by. They're happy with the rate log agreement. Meanwhile, rates are going up, and they're very glad that they protected their rate. And the seller says, oh, we need to have an extension. We can't move on June 30th because my kid is going to camp, and they want to come back to the house. Whatever the reason is. It is a threat to the rate lock expiring. So I know that there's such a thing as a rate lock extension, but it could be at a higher rate. But do, have you ever heard of people going to the seller and say, you signed an agreement that would close 60 days. So sure, I'm, I'm willing to wait 30 days, but you're going to have to pay me. You have to lower your price of your sales price so that I'm covered for the extra points I have to pay to keep my rate down. So I'm just kind of making this up as a scenario. So have you ever seen anything like that, Mike? Yes, actually. Uh, it's a very good question. Very good point. Happens quite often. And, really? And that's what it, it turns into a negotiation, right? Okay. Seller wants an extra few days, a week, two, a month. Buyer says, well, that's going to cost me because my rate is expired. My rate lock is expiring on okay. such said day. And so the the buyer will call me and say, hey, Mike, what is, what is an extra 15 days going to cost? And so that's what I All do. Right. I get that information for them. Them and their attorney go to the sellers and the seller's attorney, and they negotiate. And if the the borrower is in a situation where they can wait 15, 20 days, whatever it is, they could say yes, but it's going to cost X. 
And if the seller hmm. is like up against a, their backs up against the wall, they'll come up with the money to pay to the borrower for that extension. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's good. It's good that your customers have that option. Well, you know, 20, 30 years ago, a lot of real estate agreements had a clause called time is of the essence. And what that means is you absolutely not have to be out of the house by this date. But there were so many legal problems with that because, you know, unforeseen things, like maybe there was a major appliance breakdown or the furnace broke down and it needed to be repaired. You know, there's a million things that can happen. And I think that unless it's a foreclosure that's pending or there's a, uh, you know, a financial crisis or a real bona fide reason, a lot of real estate lawyers do not like to use that clause. Mm. So speaking of paying for the extra time, can you explain to our listeners what a buy-down is and how the interest rate is bought down, and which is probably how you would mitigate this situation you have for an extended closing? Sure. Sure, Let's absolutely. talk about that. Yeah, sure. Okay. So typical typical rate buy down is, you know, points, right? So yeah. Um that's so one point is is typically one percentage point of the loan amount. Okay, that's that's kind of how it all works in for the math. Okay. So and I have a situation like that right now. I have a I have a I have a a borrower who has a purchase contract, okay, to close on May 1st. Okay. So we're getting ready to submit a loan to a yeah. lender. Now that is, where are we, February 16th? So that's all of March, all of April. That's more than 60 days. So this yeah. this, this buyer has to figure out what, what they want to do. So... They know that it's their forever home, so they're willing to pay points. So how it works is I provide them with a rate at par, which is zero points. Par equals zero points. And I show okay. them a grid that shows half a point, quarter point, three quarters of a point, point, you know, all the way up to maybe two or three points. And they will basically make a decision on that, how much they want to pay. And that... That's a one-time closing cost, okay? Right, and tax deductible. Yes, exactly. Very good point. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at that point, we'll submit the loan, but we won't lock a rate right away because the longer out the lock period is, the more risk to the lender, That's the right. higher the cost, right? So we'll wait, watch the market, and we'll determine at what point the buyer based on information that i provide on what the market's doing will will make a decision on unlocking their their rate but but yeah. the the whole i the whole idea of, of buying down the rate is i think amazing for borrowers because it gives them the flexibility to really choose their rate it goes back to your question when you first asked me the first question was what's the rate well the yeah. rate can be what you want it to be it's just how much you want to pay for it well, also, am I right? Correct me if I'm wrong, but I've always 
done the math, and it seems like a point pays for itself over a 60-month period. And so if it takes five years for a break-even point on paying points, and you're thinking about leaving, selling up and, and relocating in three years, wouldn't you say to your customer, well, you might want to get the PAR or the zero-point exactly. program? Would you suggest that? Yes, and that's a very good point. In my example that I just went through, they this this these buyers are wanting this to be like their forever home. And they get oh, right. a 30 year fixed. That. And it's like, it yeah. makes a lot of sense for them to buy down the rate in today's interest rate environment. Yeah. And so others, first time home buyers, uh, folks in the military, um, you know, folks maybe that get relocated for their job, they may never want to buy the rate down because they're not going to be in their home for more than three or four or five years at a time. Right. The average, um, the average that someone stays in a in a in a loan is about three years, give or take, really? give or take a couple of months. Wow, you know, yeah. like when I was it's amazing when I was in banking, it was seven years. Times have changed, yes. but then of course I'm aging myself. Yep. Okay, so with first time home buyers, I mean they're saving money like crazy, and you know. That is the biggest obstacle buying a home in America is coming up with that thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollar down payment. So, what trends do you see in first time home buyers as as to loan qualification, sources of down payment? I mean, do you have a lot of people that are just really shocked and upset that they can't find a house that's affordable? Um, what are they? What's going on out there right now? Sure. Sure, sure. Really good question. And and I think it's really becoming a big deal. So first time home buyers there, there are some conventional products that help first time home buyers, um, home possible, home ready. Those are oh, Freddie yeah. and Fannie products. And what they do is they they help with not only the rate, but the DTI calculations. So there'll be a higher DTI for those debt to income ratios. Um, I'll try not to use that. More flexibility. Yeah, that's okay. More flexibility. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, first time home buyer under Freddie and Fannie can put as little as 3% down. Yeah. Okay. Um, a decent credit score helps that. There are also for the affordable products that come with those loan products, uh, there are income thresholds. By area, okay. Oh, the metropolitan statistical area. Yeah, the yes, the area medium income calculation, the AMI, is used, and it's it's really by by county almost within a state. Oh, I know. So those those are helpful for first time home buyers. Obviously, FHA is is great. Uh, your down payment assistance programs, which are not only you know, given by a, a particular state's housing authority. Those are out there. A lot of our lenders have those DPA programs, which yeah. some are forgivable and some are not, depending on your, your income. So the, the the when I first got into this business coming from, you know, corporate accounting world, I was amazed at the plethora of products that are out there for folks to, to choose from. I was in shock. And it... 
Yes. Really makes my job as a loan officer that much more important. You know, especially working for a broker like Northeast Financial, we have over 30 lenders to choose from. Yes. Which some may be strong in one area, some may be strong in others, but it's it's amazing the amount of people that we can reach. Well, I think it gives you a very broad range of flexibility. Because one thing I know about, you know, the first time home buyer programs with Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac, there are actually 24 different sources of income that are listed on a mortgage application. Because a third of Americans are non-salary borrowers. So these are people that have 1099, right. you know, they're seasonal workers, part-time workers, casual workers. And one of the things that I like about the government-sponsored programs is that there is so much more of a greater allowance and flexibilities for people that don't have, you know, all their money in one bank and they've worked on the same W-2 employment job for the past 10 years. But I will say this, Mike, I think... What you have described is you have a lot of options and a lot of experience and knowledge in so many different types of mortgages, because it's no secret that the average person is going online and shopping for rates and what what we call the aggregators. And Mike, with an accounting background, you know what I'm talking about, but it's really, I don't want to mention any names, but an aggregator is almost like an infomercial saying, you know, in 15 minutes, we're going to get, we get to have five lenders compete with a mortgage for you. But I want our listeners to understand that when you're going online and looking for a mortgage, these aggregator machines are based on an algorithm that only take into an account three or maybe four simple criteria. One is your credit score. The other one is the loan to value, which is either for a refinance purpose, the mortgage that you need as it's measured against the value of your house. And they're looking at your income. The problem is that that algorithm doesn't know that your income is alimony or child support. It doesn't know that your income might be overtime that you've only averaged for the past six months. And so it isn't until you talk to someone like Mike Lane who says to you, hey, wait a minute, you know, talk to me a little bit about your overtime and how long have you been averaging this? And are you likely to get this in the future? And tell me a little bit about the gift funds. I mean, people are not told ahead of time that their parents have to sign a gift letter. Absolutely. That's a great point. So what we yeah. do uh, when we first get on the phone with a, a borrower, and I like to say the phone because now it's a human voice to a human ear and back and True. forth. And it True. means a lot more in my opinion. And we, we like to, you know, when they're ready to go and they're ready to put an application in and they're ready to say, I'm, I'm with you, we, we discuss the process, right? And we basically, I basically tell them, first, of all, first, first and foremost, don't take out any new debt, okay? Good advice. You, cannot, you, don't, you know, we've run your credit. We have a snapshot of your credit. Um, the lenders have the ability to, to check on anything that happens from point A to point Z in the process. Don't take out any new debt. 
um, do not um, go buy, you know, a car, which is as simple as adding debt, right? So the next thing that we talk about is is the sourcing of funds. Okay, so if you're a home buyer and you're going to put twenty percent down or ten percent down, and you have closing costs on on top of that, what makes the process a lot smoother is is where are you getting your money for the down payment and for the closing costs? It could be as simple as a savings account, which is perfect. Mm. Give me the copy of that savings account showing you have, you know, $50,000 in there to pay for your down payment and your closing costs. If you're going to liquidate stocks or bonds or, you know, retirement accounts, I tell them exactly how I need that paperwork. We need to see the oh. statement before, the statement after, and the timing of how it got from one to the other. So these things when the underwriter gets the loan application with the documents, if they're all there and it's it's all nice and tidy, getting to a conditional approval is a lot easier than not giving them much of anything and then getting you know all of your conditions. And now it's like, I gotta go back and I gotta get this and I gotta get that and I gotta ask oh, for this yeah. and then we gotta have this. and. That's when it becomes difficult. Oh, you're absolutely right. I mean, that tens of thousands of borrowers across the country have had issues where, you know, they just submitted the application and wait and waited to see what documents were requested after the fact. And I can tell you that this is very frustrating. And the most common things that an unhappy mortgage customer will say is, why didn't you tell me that in the first place? Exactly. And so as a consultant, my staff and I call these loans the path of the least resistance. It does not help the consumer. So Mike, I have so much respect for your style and the way you handle people and your experience. And so I want everyone to know, I mean, you... <laughs> You're you are a rare gem in the industry, and I can see why you're so successful. And so, where can people find you? I know you're on LinkedIn. So, what would be the best way? Is it, give them your email address. Go sure. to your company website. What can what can you? Sure. Tell us? Well, the best way that I found for people to get a hold of me is my yeah. cell phone, is my cell phone. Okay, you want to say that on a national show? That's I would fine. <laughs> absolutely love to do that. And okay, because everyone, it's not, call Mike because it's not video and there's no screenshots yeah. or whatever. It, it that's eight, fine. Eight six zero nine one seven seven six two nine. There's an email as well. Mlane at northeast mortgage dot com. So my email, my phone, which you can call or text, I'm open to anyone and everyone. My voicemail tells them who I am and you know what I do. Our website, northeast-mortgage.com. We have our two owners, Chris Nielsen and Drew Rainey. Our, our, our uh, president, Chris Nielsen, and our CEO, Drew Rainey, uh, amazing gentlemen in this in this mortgage environment 
been at it many, many, many years. Uh, super guys. We have processing help in the office. We do it the right yeah. way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know it's a it's a quality organization, and so I know that you're lending in the Northeast region, and you, you're expanding. So I know that there are people who live all over. Yes, you know, different parts of the country. So what I would suggest is that um, get in touch with Mike if you have a question. Uh, maybe they're not in your state now, but they will be. So if you don't have a pencil or don't remember Mike's information, no worries. His email address and phone and the company website will be on my website, which is AnnaDeSimone.net. And um, anything else you want to add, Mike? Any tips that you have for new home buyers out there or people that are doing some renovations? I would say, uh, first and foremost, um, I am currently in Connecticut, North Carolina, and Florida. Okay. Officially licensed in those states. And I hope to be in New York and South Carolina as well. Our firm, our company, is in mm -hmm. Connecticut, North Carolina, Florida. And I know we're going to be in New York hopefully soon as well. And, wow. so, and Fl Florida as well. So, so that's where we are. I would say tips, try to talk to a, I know it's hard, but try to talk to a human, try to talk to <laughs> either <laughs> myself on the phone or in person, um, at, have a discussion. Don't just go out on an internet and say, you know, I want a $400,000 house and give me all the lenders. Like that would be my advice just because I know that when you speak to somebody, and you, especially, I can't speak for others, but our firm and myself, you know, we do it the right way. We educate folks, we ask questions, and we try to solve what they want. We don't push what we want. I think I think that's fantastic. You have a great company. I'm very familiar with the reputation of your company. And I also want to say this. If you want to send an email to me through my website, and it's a general question, you know, just like a what if scenario, you're not actively looking for a mortgage, feel free to send me a question and I will be happy to refer to Mike to get the answer about what's going on today and what his recommendation might be. And um, Mike, thank you so much for joining us today. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, I don't usually invite a lot of finance people. And I'm fussy, and I know your reputation, your company's reputation, and I think your advice is great, and I really appreciate your time today. Thanks a lot. Thank you. Thank you again. It was my pleasure. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today on the Live in a Home That Pays You Back podcast. We hope you tune in again, where we'll share more insider secrets so you get the absolute most out of your home. Check out Anna Simone's award-winning book, Live in a Home That Pays You Back. Available at Amazon and major booksellers in print, audio, and ebook. For more information, visit AnnaDeSimone.net. If you like what you heard, remember to follow Live in a Home That Pays You Back and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs>